Thank you, preacher. Thank you, church. Go ahead and take your Bibles and be turning to Acts chapter 27 this morning, if you will. Uh, this morning, I've asked the uh, leaders of the children to keep the children in the service this morning, first through fifth grade. They're up in the balcony. Hey, kids. Beautiful bunch of kids. Looks like there's about 35, maybe 40 up there this morning. But we'll dismiss from the balcony first through fifth grade today. Preacher, thank you for mentioning Sunday school. I got an opportunity this morning to go to Sunday school. I went to the Rock Sunday school class, and Scott Gray teaches down there, and he gave us all frogs. He said, put them in prominent places this week. This is a reminder of what you learned this morning. And I've been fidgeting back there through the whole song service, trying to get one of them legs through one of these buttonholes to wear this thing today. And when I look in the mirror, it'll remind me of that lesson, that life-changing lesson I heard because I was in Sunday school. I told Scott afterwards, I said, I'm only smiling and laughing while you're teaching, not because what you're saying is funny, but what you're saying is my notes for today. And it's amazing how God will always, always, always put a complete puzzle together for us in our most dire time of need. I needed confirmation today. We need confirmation when we're going through life from Sunday school, from church, from a prayer meeting, from being around other brothers and sisters. God puts all of that together and gives us so much more help in healing than just one message or one song on a Sunday. I want to read a verse of Scripture in Acts chapter 27, and I want to be an encouragement today. I want to be a blessing. I want to be a help. This is not a message to push or squash or hurt or cut in any kind of way. It is a message to help us this morning. It's in Acts chapter 27 in verse number 13. I've, one of my favorite books of the entire Bible. I take this chapter and I compare it with 1 Samuel chapter 17. And books like the book of Esther. Some of my favorite passages in all of the word of God. And every time you read a chapter like Acts chapter 27. God just uncovers these jewels and these gold nuggets and this precious gems that are much needed in my life. And to get an opportunity to share some of those with you is a tremendous blessing. I don't take it lightly. The Bible says in verse 13 of Acts 27, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocliden. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. These men aboard this ship on this day had given everything they had to give. They have exhausted every resource to keep that boat going in the direction they wanted it to go. But this storm said, no, you're not going where you want to go. You're going where I want you to go. And they finally had to pull the sails down and say, take over, sea. Take over, storm. We can't do anything about it. And they let that ship drive and let it go. There's going to come a time in life when there's stuff out of your and my control. And we've got to say, God, I, I haven't got it anymore. I don't have it together as a Christian. And it might be privately, it might be publicly. But we just have to let it go sometimes and say, God, it's in your hands. It's always been in your hands anyways. Take over and let the ship drive. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. May you challenge us. May you encourage us. Lord, if need be, I pray you'll convict us, Lord. I pray if there's a conviction necessary in my heart this morning that you'll cut me where I need to be cut. 
But Lord, I'm asking for healing in my life. I'm asking for healing in people's lives that are in this service this morning, that the ship is on a storm-tossed sea that needs to be let go and let God in our lives. I love you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke wrote the accounts of Acts chapter 27, and he was actually on board this ship with the Apostle Paul when they entered this violent storm. Paul is being shipped from Caesarea to Rome for judgment, all because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. They set sail at the worst time of year. It was the onset of winter, the time when storms arise on the open seas. There's 276 men on this ship, including the crew, the soldiers, the centurion, and the prisoners. And after their last stop at the Fair Havens, it was a bad place to winter in. They thought we'd move about 45 miles down this island and park this ship for the winter and wait and then strike out for Rome. Little did they know that 45-mile trip would turn into over 600 miles for these men. Out on an open sea, fighting for their lives, day and night, gave up food on day one and said, we've got to fast, we've got to have God in this situation. If he doesn't intervene, we're all going down. So they set sail at the worst time of year. And they faced the storm almost immediately with hurricane conditions. By the third day, the Bible says that they had thrown everything overboard except what was necessary. They threw all of their personal possessions. They threw all of the ship rigging overboard. They threw everything that was an extra weight in their life overboard. Isn't there a lot of message in that for us this morning? All they kept was their necessary food and their clothes on their back. By the 14th night, after being pushed and pulled and tossed, and they have to give up and let the ship go. And at midnight, the Bible's going to tell us that they begin to approach an unknown land, totally lost at sea. And Paul had one challenge for these men on board this ship. Stay on this ship. Do not get overboard off of this ship. He had had an experience, much like the three Hebrew children. You remember what happened when they were cast into the fire? There were three of them. But how many were seen in the fire by the witnesses? Four. And one of them was who? The Son of God Himself. Isn't it a great day when we're storm-tossed and we're pushed all over the ocean and the sea and we have no control and we have to let the ship drive. And we go below for a few minutes and we have a meeting with Jesus Christ Himself. And He gives us a hope that this world does not have. And we're able to come back up with some confidence. Stay on this boat. This was called a Eurycliden. The Greek word for this storm is Eurocladon. And it is defined as a violent agitation. The root word is cludon. It is defined as a dashing or a surging wave. A surge. A violent agitation of the sea. It's a spacing out of the waves, making it impossible for the sailors to time them. They pull the sails and they try to get the boat over the next wave and they're not timed properly. So the boat begins to porpoise and, and will capsize if they keep the sails up. It's not a normal storm that's coming to their life. These men were being pulled to certain destruction at the mercy of this storm. Look a little further with me in verses 18 through 20 of this same chapter. And we, being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, 
The next day they lightened the ship. The third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest, that means this thing was huge, it was not going away. No small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. 276 men on board this ship. They've exhausted every measure humanly possible to keep that boat afloat. And now 275 men on this boat have lost hope, but not Paul. What does he do? He goes below deck, gets with God, has a meeting with Jesus Christ himself, and comes back aboard with a confidence that says, we can do this. We're going to get to land safely if we'll all stay on the ship. Let's read on. Verse 21 says, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should, not, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of this ship. Later on this passage, he'll reinforce this statement. And Paul will go as far to tell those men, not a hair of any man's head's going to fall off if you'll listen to me and stay on this ship. What a confidence in the face of adversity. For there stood by me this night an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. Saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. What they were doing was taking a lead ball on a string with a measure. And they were checking the depth of the water because they could hear water crashing off the rocks in front of them. They knew they were approaching some unknown land. And they started checking the depth of the water and it was 120 feet deep. They went a little further and they checked it again and it was 100 feet deep. And they realized we're headed straight for those rocks. On the 14th night. Then fearing lest we have, should have fallen upon rocks. Listen. They cast four anchors out of the stern or out of the back of the boat and they wished for the day and as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the I'm going to add the word life right here because that's what it was when they had let down the lifeboat off the side of the ship into the sea oh under the color of darkness by the way as though they would have cast anchors they acted like they were helping and they were fixing to flee with their own lives and leave everyone else on the ship to fend for themselves. As the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the lifeboat in the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers, listen to this, cut off the ropes of the lifeboat and let her fall off into the stormy sea. I want to focus a little bit on verse 29 for a minute. It says, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern, and they wished for today. I'm here to make a plea. 
to myself in the mirror and to us that's in the room, don't get off our boat, especially in a stormy sea. Stay in the boat, hunker down, wait for a better day, and in the meantime, let's throw some anchors as we hear ourselves approaching that treacherous situation. Somebody said it this week through a group text. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord sometimes. The hardest thing for a Christian to do is to anchor down and wish for a better day. Wait on the Lord. In modern terms, Paul might have said something like this. Don't jump out of the frying pan into the fire. I've titled the message this morning, Anchor Down. I believe every Christian should have at least four anchors on board our ships. And I've brought some anchors just by way of illustration this morning. They're simple little anchors. There's some anchor points on the stage for, I love it. It's where our cross holes go. And I, I just want to anchor to a few of those this morning. I want to I anchor down and challenge us in the church to anchor ourselves to, uh, to faithfulness. And the fact is, most of these anchors can be popped out. There's actually, I've got this anchor rig wrong. I got it where it would be, be very difficult um, normally during the week when I'm not preaching to pull that anchor out of that hole. But this anchor's got a little thing on the bottom of it. And I didn't rig it up this way because I don't plan on using it because I, I want to be an encouragement this morning. It's a little hole on the bottom here. And if my anchor ever gets hung on the bottom too good and my ship won't move, everybody that's got a boat knows that they can put a line on this and have it run to the boat too and tug that line and that anchor reverse and pop out of that tight situation. I don't want that this morning. I want us anchored down hard. I want us locked in. So let's talk about faithfulness for just a few minutes tonight. I believe God wants some faithful Christians. I believe Paul wanted some faithful men on board this ship. Just stay with the stuff. Go ahead and throw this anchor today and say to our storms, I'm going to remain faithful. I'm staying right here. I'm challenging us today to stay on our ship. Those men decided at Paul's word to stay with the boat one more night, and then one more night, and then one more night, and then one more night. No doubt they were looking at that lifeboat that could lower them, and they could escape this thing, and they had an escape route in mind. Tempted each and every day and night. But the only way that they were going to overcome and survive this strong desire to flee their storm was to trust Paul cast an anchor, and cut the ropes off the lifeboat. If they had not cut those ropes on that lifeboat, no telling how many of the other 275 men felt just like them and said, we're going to escape as soon as somebody's not watching. We don't need Christians today who cut and run in adversity. We need some Christians who cut and stay. We need some Christians to cut some ropes off our lifeboats and to cast an anchor instead. Some good old-fashioned faithfulness. Lock us in and just be faithful. We've got our escape routes all figured out. If it's financial trouble, we'll fire bankruptcy. If it's marriage trouble, it's divorce. If it's church problems, we go to another church. If we can't get along with people on our job, we quit. Can't make the car payment, we let it get repossessed. We have all these lifeboats that we gravitate to. They're there all the time in thousands of different areas of our lives. We want to lower them and escape during the times of storms in our life. It's easier to cut and run than it is to cut and stay. Wouldn't you agree? We need to learn how to use an anchor of faithfulness and just say, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay with it. I'm not giving up in this situation. I'm going to stay. It's going to be a fight. I'm not going anywhere. 
We as Christians want smooth sailing all the time. We don't like agitation. Remember that violent agitation definition that we talked about with the Euroclodon. But what we forget is that we are not the only ones in the boat. And when we flee, rather than anchoring down, we leave a host of others to fend for themselves. And what a shame. I've got to agree with everybody in the room. It's, it's uh, not easy to stay with our boats when it's us that's facing the storm of our life. The Euroclidons, if you will. A co-worker may be hot on your trail. And it's not going to stop at anything to run you off the job just to have your position. A boss may be doing his best to find a way to terminate you so that he can replace you with someone else he prefers in your place. Your marriage may have hit hard times and the waves are churning under your boat and it's headed in a direction out of your control. The timing of the waves have made it impossible for you to raise the sails and keep the boat afloat. You can't predict the next problem. So now we're at the mercy of the storm. Church, for you, has become possibly a chore and a duty. The storm clouds have been gathering in your life as it relates to church, and the winds have increased until you feel you're soon going to need to evacuate your ship. Look at Acts chapter 27, verse number 29. It says, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, the rocks they could not see but they could hear, they cast four anchors and wished for the day. Don't jump ship. Cast an anchor of faithfulness and slow that ship down. You notice I've got one anchor. And i got a rock over here. There's a rock for every time we're unfaithful in life. In any area of our life, unfaithfulness is going to pull, my storm is pulling me directly toward the consequences of unfaithfulness. Am I not the wisest man in the building when I sense that I'm not being faithful? That rock could destroy everything that's dear to me. But not if I'm anchored to faithfulness, I'm getting no closer to that rock. Don't jump, don't jump ship. We bail out of our night seasons. We leave the safety of a ship that is anchored down. And at the very least, it's pointed in the right direction. A ship that is literally hours away from the sun coming up and revealing just how close we are to the safety of the land. Imagine how quickly that small lifeboat would be destroyed on those rocks if they lowered it into that stormy sea. Proverbs 16, 25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If I don't anchor down to faithfulness, I'm headed straight toward that rock. You might say, well, what is that rock? Look around you this morning. Look at everybody in the building. Because that's what we're jeopardizing when we're unfaithful in areas of our lives. I'll say it with everything that's kind and gentle and loving in me. Somebody in this room is going to jump overboard off a ship regardless of what's said from this pulpit this morning. Regardless of what everybody that loves you says, you ought to hang in there. And that's a shame. But that's the call of a lifeboat that's on our ship. Some have got your mind made up. You're getting out of your dark, stormy night. And I get it. I, I'm guilty, number one. What's that rock if I'm unfaithful? Just think about this. We could, we could use 10,000 areas, but it's me up here this morning. When I get off on the temptation of being unfaithful to my wife, what does that rock hold for me? A destroyed marriage. Friends that thought I was a Christian see that unfaithfulness. Now that has destroyed that testimony. What will my kids think of me when I'm unfaithful to that woman sitting right over there? 
when I let go of this and head that way. That's what that rock is in my life. It is destruction to everything I love and hold dear in my life. You see that group of kids up there? A lot of you can't see them. They're there. Over the next 10 years, there's going to be so many rocks in front of those kids that threaten to destroy them. And you know what they need today? They need a mom and dad that says, I'm going to be faithful to church. I'm going to be there when the doors are open. I'm going to put these kids in a home that raises them under the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to anchor down and just be faithful in some areas of my life and let them witness. The only reason I'm on this stage this morning is because of my dad who never quits. He never quits. He never relents. I can't take him anywhere where he's not at a gas pump. Leading a man to the Lord in my presence. That's faithfulness. He don't do it with his words. He does it with his actions. And I've seen that my whole life, so I can't quit. I cannot quit. I'm faithful because of that man right there. Sitting in that balcony this morning. The way to anchor down at Faith Baptist Church is to get plugged in and do something meaningful rather than to sit around complaining about what we don't like. When you decide to anchor down, you begin to say things like, I'm going to be at that men's meeting. I'm going to be at that prayer meeting. I'm going to be at that work day. I'm going to be there all nine weeks for those kids that I said I would for Awana. I'm going to do my part to volunteer for the nursery so that a young couple can enjoy a service together. I'm going to anchor down to faithfulness is what you're saying with your actions. When you join hands with other like-minded Christians, holding the anchor of faithfulness, the last thing you want to do is flee out of your ship. You want the ship to survive and sail on. Yeah, there's rocks out there. But together, we can avoid that rock. That unfaithfulness is going to bring into our lives. I want to use a personal example here. I fought with myself to share this, but it may help somebody. And it's the only reason I'm going to share it. I have tinnitus. How many of you have tinnitus? Anybody in the room have tinnitus? You might not pronounce it like that. I've had it since 1990. I can't count the times that it's threatened to destroy me. Because it works on your sanity. You ever shot a gun or had a firecracker go off as you were releasing it? And your ears ring so loud that you can't hear what's going on around you for a few seconds? Anybody ever done that? Fireworks, whatever. Imagine living with that 24-7. I've learned that when my tinnitus as is loudest and it threatens literally to destroy my sanity, and I don't mind saying that I spent Thursday in bed because of it. It's real. When it is at its loudest, I've learned that the sunrise is real close on my tinnitus. Because when it roars, it's fixing to subside and those storm clouds are going to blow away and those waves are going to settle. And I'm about to have one day of quietness in my life. And I relish it. I sit outside with my wife often. I say, you hear those crickets? I finally get to hear them today. After 30 days of not hearing them, I can hear them today. Let me just say with joy, my son came up this morning. I can hear today with no 
tinnitus in my head. Sun comes up on our situations if we'll wait and go through the loudest part of our storms and just wait on the Lord. A few more hours, they'll subside. It's no different for marriage or finances or church or jobs. If we would just learn to be patient and remain faithful and stay with the stuff just a little while longer, we'll see that God has the details all worked out. I think there's three levels of faithfulness in our life. Level one, here's what we say when there's something that we need to be faithful to and somebody's asked us to be involved in. If something else doesn't come up, I'll be there. No, you will not. You decided when we made that statement that I'm not going to that. That's the least level of commitment that we can possibly have. You've got a lifeboat with your name reserved in that seat, and you're going to make an escape off that ship. You're not going to be there. Second level, I'm going to do my best to be there. If this were the preacher preaching this morning, you know what he'd say? Hogwash. You're not going to be there. You're going to do your best to put something else in the place of that, and that's where you're going to be. I'm real careful and loving and kind to say this. That group of kids right there is following our lead. They are a mirror to our life. And in 10 years, if they're not sitting right here, guess whose fault it is? You can go ahead and point at me because you didn't throw the anchor of faithfulness on this day and say, I don't care, come hell or high water, I'm going to be in that church and nothing. Jesus said the gates of hell are going to prevail against them. I mean, they're going to be there daily to hold us out of this place. You've got to overcome that and cast an anchor and say, I'm going to be there. Here's the third level. Whatever it takes, I will be there. Hallelujah. You are the one that is the backbone of this church surviving the storms that come its way. You are the backbone of the marriage that survives. You're the backbone that keeps the finances together in the house because you say, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to be there. Whatever it takes, I'm going to be faithful. We got to decide to cast that anchor. It's not going to cast itself off our ship in our stormy seas and lock us down. We got to decide, I'm going to put it in the water and I'm going to pull it until it latches on to some of God's principles and I'm going to hold on and I'm going to be faithful through this thing. You're the one we can count on to get the ship to safety. Anchor down, stay with it, no matter how bad you want out in this moment. Take a deep breath, chunk that anchor of faithfulness, ride this thing out and like the Bible said, wish for the day. Stay in that marriage. Stay with that job. Stay in church. Stay with your ministry. Stay on the side of your child. Stay in school. Stay in your boat. Cast the anchor of faithfulness and just hang on for the ride. Be faithful when you don't feel like being faithful. Acts chapter 3 has a wonderful passage of scripture about a man who the Bible says in Acts chapter 3. He was actually, verse number 2, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid How often? Thank God for a faithful friend right here. This man's been lame since his birth. And every day somebody said, I'm going to take him. I'm going to take him because he wants to be there and can't get there himself. I'm going to take him back. I'm going to take him back. I'm going to take him back. And all he was doing was begging for daily money to get food. But that faithfulness paid off today on, on this particular day because Peter passed by. And you know what happened? He's just begging for alms. Peter says, man, I don't have anything to give you. But what I do have, I'll be glad to give you. Take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says the man picked up his bed. 
and went walking and leaping and praising the Lord. You know, he was praising the Lord for the healing, but he was praising the Lord for some faithful friends too. He stayed by his side, never let him down, and kept taking him every day to where he needed to be. That group right there is counting on us. I kept them in here for a reason this morning. The best example I can show us today, if we want them sitting in church in 10 years, it's because we're going to sit in church for the next 10 years. Come whatever problems come to the church. Leave this place and go find the perfect one. You're only going to be there three months and you're going to find out they're the same people we are. And you're going to drag them kids from that church to another one, all in search of that perfect place that you're looking for. And it does not exist. It's a mirage in the desert. It's not there. And your children might as well believe in the guy at Christmas time. I'll leave it at that. As to believe in the faith that you have because it's so shallow and weak. And when they're old enough to make up their mind, they will not be sitting in this church. How many of them do you see right here? Adolescents that grew up in this church. Now they're young adults. Count them. You'll count them on this hand right here. That's in love. We've got to learn how to be faithful. Everybody knows what the scripture says in Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The word wait is a Hebrew word. It means kaval. It's pronounced kaval, which carries the meaning to wait with expectation. The Arabic translation for this word is to spin like a spider's thread or web. Break the web down tonight and say, aha, I've destroyed the spider. I've got him out of my life. That spider is finished. But wait until morning when the sun comes up and you walk through that same doorway. What do you hit? A spider web. It's because even the spider is faithful and knows that when the storm comes in my life and tries to destroy everything that I've built, the only thing I can do is be faithful and go back to work. If I want to eat, I've got to build this web back. Christians, let's build back and wait on the Lord. Waiting doesn't mean sitting idle. It means working sometimes and putting every effort and every drop of energy we have into going forward what God's called us to do. Say like David did in Psalms chapter 62, verse 6. He said, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Stay the course. Anchor down right here, right now. Proverbs 25, verse 19 says this. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. We have no idea how much pain we cause others when we don't hold the anchor of faithfulness. Well, we talked about faithfulness. Let's move on to the second anchor this morning. I want to talk about the anchor of cheerfulness. I'm going to stand here this morning and tell every one of you, this is for me. There might as well be a mirror standing here. This is for nobody. When I get loud and sound like I'm preaching, it ain't. I promise you, it's not to you. It's to me. It's the man in the mirror. I've decided to put a circle around myself and say, it's me, it's me, it's me. Oh, Lord, standing in need of prayer today. Not my brother, not my sister. It's me. We need to learn some cheerfulness. Every ship that sails the sea of life needs to anchor to cheerfulness. We need that anchor on board our ships and toss it in the time of our darkest storms. It's an interesting thing Paul is challenging these other 275 men to do on board, and that's to be cheerful. Look at it. It's Acts 27, 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Cheer up. 
What, Paul, are you nuts? What are we, what, we're going down, the ship's about to be destroyed, and you, you're telling us to be cheerful? Again, he responds in verse 25, he repeats himself. Be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Listen right here. I want to get just a little bit personal because I waste a lot. I've wasted and I waste a lot of my time anxious and fearful in my storms of life. I am the most guilty person in the room for doing this. Only to see God raise the sun in my situation in morning come. And he make everything that I worried about a-okay. And the only thing I can do in that moment... It's like go down to that rock altar and say, God, I am a hill. I can't believe that I didn't trust you in the most important time of my life and just let my ship drive and let you have it and be cheerful through it all. Think about this when Moses told those Israelites to put that paint over uh, that blood over those doorposts and go to bed and rest. The danger, death angel will pass this way tonight. But if you do what I promised, God's promised us that he'll do. He's going to pass over your house and nobody will be destroyed. There's two types of people that entered those houses. One, Moses said it because God said it. It's a promise. I'm going in my house and I'm going to be cheerful. Let's sit around and play games. Let's talk. Let's read. Let's do whatever. Kids, everything's fine. Life is normal because God promised. Then there's the other family, that's me, that walks through that doorpost and got the perfect promise of God, put the blood on the post and spend my whole night doing this. But what? But what if? But what if? But what if? What if the death angel does come by? What if I did it wrong? What? Blah, blah, blah. Leslie Ann's our daughter over here. She was born with spina bifida, which means she's paralyzed from the waist down. And she had a surgery coming up when she was a child. I let it rob me of a lot of days, my joy. I was not a glad person. I was not cheerful in the moment. I literally forgot the blessings of God. I couldn't see all the big blessings for the one little thing coming up that was a surgery. It had me at unrest and fearful. I took that fearful attitude all the way to the waiting room that day for her to have surgery. And this is where God gave me something that I needed in my life, in our situation, in our storm. It was a private moment, but we were there, and I was fearful and anxious. At the same time, another husband and wife brought in their son, who was a quadriplegic, which means paralyzed from here down. Had no bodily function whatsoever. They fed him, and medical devices took care of him. And what I witnessed that day changed my life. They were smiling as they met the receptionist. They were chatting. They checked their son in. They walked over to their seat in the waiting room. Like it's another day. I want that. I want that so bad in my life. And God's given it to me. I just don't accept it sometimes. They were cheerful. And they were probably in the storm of their life. These men took Paul's advice though. And they cast that anchor. Look at verse number 36. It says, Then were they all, A-double-L, of Good cheer. 
And they also took some meat. Makes no sense through the eyes of the flesh, does it? If you look at that boat on that storm-tossed sea, and, and you, you look at the big picture of it, it's doom and gloom. That thing's going down. It's going to be destroyed. But if you take that same camera and you zoom in on one face of one of those men on that board, they had a great countenance about them because they had cast the anchor, spiritually speaking, and said, we'll be cheerful. It's all going to end well. It was well with their souls. Hallelujah right here for Christians who have the anchor of cheerfulness. They motivate me. They keep me going. They can't change their situation, but they've decided to change their attitude about their situation and just be cheerful in spite of their situation. Isn't it a pleasant thing to be someone, be around someone who's in the storm of their life, and yet there's this radiating cheerful countenance about them that attracts you to them? They've cast the anchor of cheerfulness. If they didn't cast the anchor of cheerfulness, they're headed toward a disparaging spirit about themselves that, oh my, I'm, it's not going to end well. I mean, I... nervousness, self-pity, depression. These are things that that rock represents. If I don't anchor to being cheerful, sometimes in my life I'm headed toward certain destruction. They sail through their storms with a smile. How do they do it? Oftentimes they don't even realize their influence on others around them that are going through their own storms. But like Paul on this boat with these 275 men, he became a cheerleader. And so can you and I. And there's always people following us down one of these roads. The definition of cheer is to dispel gloom, sorrow, silence, or apathy. To be joyful, to cause to rejoice, to gladden, to make cheerful, or an air of countenance. Our challenge this morning, I believe, is really, really simple. Learn to rest in and on the promises of God. And once I settle in my mind that God's got this whole thing under control, then I can start working on the one thing that I can control in my life, and that sometimes is my attitude about my situation. There was a comment, there was a, a quote in Facing the Giants. The coach comes to one of the players who's having a bad attitude. He said, listen, son, your attitude's like the aroma of your heart. If your attitude stinks, it means your heart is not right. If I don't hear anything else this morning, I need to hear that I put off a stench when my heart is not right around others because I have a bad attitude. You know the only person in the room that can't smell it? Me. Everybody else smells it, feels it, and everything else. Skunk can't smell his own stink. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. That verse just says it all. A merry heart is going to give me a cheerful, cheerful countenance about myself. Sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. There's an enemy out there that wants to, in our times of despair, in our deepest, darkest storms, wants the last thing for us to be doing is holding an anchor and being cheerful through our storm. He wants to dash us on that rock and break our sanity and drive us into the ground. What's the real difference between happiness and joy? It's a lot like asking, what's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? When your home is cold, the thermometer's cold. When your home is hot, the thermometer is hot. And when your home is just right, your thermometer is just right. 
It's simply reacting to what's going on around it. Isn't it a lot like happiness? If this situation is good, I'm happy. If this situation is bad, I'm not happy. If my situation is just right, I feel just right. But the thermometer, on the other hand, is there for one reason. And that's to regulate the temperature in that particular room. You set that thermostat to cold, it'll be cold in the room. You set that thermostat to hot, and it's going to be hot in the room. You set that thermostat just right, and you're going to be just right in that room. Kind of reminds me of Paul going below deck for a few minutes and having an encounter with Jesus and coming back up to topside. He may have went down a thermometer. I don't know. He may have for 13 days been tossed on that sea and wondered, what in the world, God, how are you going to get us out of this one? But I'll tell you, he became a thermostat when he came back up board. He changed the temperature of every single 275 men on that boat that day because he decided to have a cheerful attitude. We miss this in our current society. When our ship is storm-tossed, our tendency is to let somebody have an earful. Somebody's head is going to roll. We blow off steam and we say things like, just wait till I have my say. Somebody's going to hear about this. And we lay into others around us like a road rage sometimes. And we should be cheerful Christians. Whatever happened to taking it on the chin and smiling about it? I believe sometimes it's because our attitude stinks because our heart's not right. The Corps of Engineers has a policy pertaining to someone that's jumped overboard and is in danger of drowning. They have a motto. It simply says, reach, row, throw, but don't go. The reason is they've had enough situations where somebody's in the water and somebody else jumps in and both of them perish. To jump overboard because somebody else jumped overboard may be to your peril. Let others do what they're going to do. Be your own person with the strength of the Lord in your life. Cheer up. Stay in the boat. Let the sun come up on your situation. We've talked about the anchor of faithfulness. We've talked about the anchor of cheerfulness. Let's talk about our third anchor this morning, which I want to say is the anchor of hope. Hope. Don't give up. The Bible says they wished for the day. And that word wishing ain't just before you blow the candles out on the birthday cake and you close your eyes for a split second and say, I wish I would get a horse or I wish I had a new car. I wish this, right? No, it ain't that. That don't mean that at all. It is a hope that we know the sun's coming up. Paul told them, since when did the sun not come up? In the history of the world, when did the sun not rise? You want to do things under the color of darkness, you'll be destroyed. Don't make decisions at night. Wait till the sun comes up in your life and be rational. And make decisions that could save our ships in life's way. This is the hope I'm talking about. Not some fanciful wishing. A certain hope that's in their life. Look at Acts chapter 27, verse number 20. When neither sun nor moon, I'm sorry, when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. What a hard statement somebody made on that board. It's hopeless. And that spread through the whole boat until 275 men felt like it was hopeless at one point. 
Paul said it's not hopeless. We're going to cast some anchors. We're going to wait for that sun to come up. And if you listen to me, you're going to survive this thing. And I am too. And all 276 of us is walking on that land tomorrow morning if we'll stay with the stuff. He said in verse number 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. I want to talk about three truths just real quickly based on this scripture that I see here. Truth number one, if God promised something, he will deliver it. The secret to this whole thing sometimes is bound in promise number two. I mean, uh, truth number two. The promises of God are buried in his word like a hidden, a hidden treasure. We must dig if we want to find that promise. You remember in Luke chapter 15, verse number 8, where Jesus made this statement to the people. He said, either what woman have ten pieces of silver? If she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. If that coin were truly lost, I want to ask this question. If that coin were truly lost and gone and there was no hope and impossible to find, why would she waste time searching for it? I'll say this morning, because it's not lost. That coin was never lost. That coin was misplaced. When you lose something, when you lose a loved one, you lose something dear to you, it's gone forever. Gone for a lifetime. We'll get them in heaven, but you get my point. To lose something is different than misplacing it. It wasn't lost. You and I have got to do like Paul told these men to do. Rest on these promises that I'm telling you this morning. And if you can't rest on what somebody else is saying, God's got a different promise in his book that you might just have to do a little digging in the early morning. When you woke up at 4 o'clock and the stuff was troubling you and you're figuring out how you're going to get through it, God, I can't go back to sleep because this stuff's weighing on me. There's something buried in that scripture that's going to help you get through that day. And a lot of times it's called the anchor of hope. Truth number three, just because you lost all hope does not mean all hope is lost. Look at uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse number 9. It says, And when she had found that coin, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. You've not lost it. You misplaced it. And you searched diligently until you found it. By the way, you and I can't detach from this anchor. We don't hold the rope on this one. I'm not going to get into it. It's another whole message today. But we're anchored to Jesus, and actually we're not anchored to Jesus. Jesus is anchored to us. This is a reverse, and I'm not going to get into it, but God's got the anchor in my soul. I'll give you the passage for it. It's Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. God's got that anchor in this body right here of something I cannot see. And he holds the other end of the rope. 
What did he say? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, because my Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's my soul over there. And Jesus and God combined have got my life in their hands. I cannot lose hope. When I got saved, I got a hope that endures through everything life has to offer. I cannot be cut loose from this rope. Every one of these have an escape route, and I can pop them at any time, and I can run toward those rocks if I decide to. But I'll never run toward the rock of hell. I'll never lose my life, to, my soul to hell for eternity. I'm anchored. Look, look, look at the rest of that verse. It says, both sure and steadfast. And which entereth into that within the veil. Jesus died, rose again, and went to heaven. And this rope extends right through the veil of death and sets in heaven with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's got us, spiritually speaking. I need anything in life. All I've got to do is go to Him in prayer. Another whole message. I can't wait to preach it one day. Somebody wisely spoke these words one day. Let God worry about your situation. He's going to be up all night anyway. Hmm. In their storm, they had one challenge. Stay in the boat. Take Paul at his word. Keep that boat pointed toward that shore. Shore. Pray for sunrise. And most importantly, don't lose hope. The verse was verse number 29 of Acts chapter 27. It said, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, he cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. That didn't mean that they wouldn't have to bail water out of the ship. That didn't mean that there would not be blood, sweat, and tears. Paul did not tell them that they were not going to have to work for what they wanted. He had told them that they were going to make it through if they would cast the anchors out of the back of the boat and just stay in the ship. Psalms 121 verse 2 through 4 says, My help cometh from the Lord, which made the heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. When these men on board that ship were saying, there's no hope, it's hopeless. Paul was reminding them with every statement they made. Yes, there is. Yes, there is hope. You've just lost sight of it. To hope is to anticipate with pleasure. Sometimes it's a quiet confidence that all will be well. I happened to drive through the parking lot this week, Wednesday actually. And when I did, another gentleman pulled into the parking lot the same time I did. I got on my truck, went over to his window, and I said, how you holding up, brother? He started to answer me, and then he turned away and started to weep a little bit. He talked about some of his issue that he's facing. And then I'm going to tell you what blessed my soul. He turned back around and looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he said, Paul, it's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. He said it twice. You know what I said to him? Nothing. The Holy Spirit had already said to his soul everything that he needed to hear because he's anchored to the one that knows his situation. And it would have been idle words on my part to try to add to what the Holy Spirit can do that no man in this room can do. And that's comfort of soul during a time of their deepest, darkest troubles. And when you witness it, it'll change 
your life. Thank God for Christians like that who stay with the stuff and change their attitude at a moment's notice. This man's attitude reminded me of a man named Blessing Offer. Blessing was born blind in one eye. And at the age of 12, he was in an accident and lost the vision in his other eye. Totally blind, but yet he penned the words to a powerful song that I've learned can help my soul in some of my storms. It's entitled, Brighter Day. He wrote words of encouragement like, If you're trying hard to breathe in the dark, I know there's going to be some brighter days. A man that will never see light is telling me that there's going to be brighter days in my dark situation. Thank God for men like this who have an attitude of gratitude toward God and remain hopeful they've cast that anchor. David said in Psalms 42 verse 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me, within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Why do people bail out of the boats when the storm is raging all around them? Why do marriages fail? Why does someone quit their job? Why do people resort to alcohol or drugs? Why do people jump out of church? Why would someone commit suicide? Because in that seemingly endless night, they lose hope, they lose confidence, and without hope, there's nothing to stay in for. Hope is so important for us in our life. Cast that anchor. Trust Christ as your Savior. Put Him on board with you. And let him navigate through these storms as only he can. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 through 14. And I'm going to paraphrase this. I read it. For which cause I also suffer these things. He said I will go through this storm with joy. Nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded. In other words I have a great hope that God will do what he said he would do. And that he is able to keep that. He's able to keep that anchor of hope in my life which I have committed, or I've chunked, I've let him anchor to me, unto him against that day, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Paul is just challenging young Timothy to anchor down in hope, and ride out your storm, son, because there's coming some ugly days. But I'm telling you, I've put God to the test and he brought me through. He'll bring you through. When we start anchoring down as Christians in this place, it's going to radically, dynamically change, not just us. It's going to change our family. It's going to change the face of this church. If we'll anchor down. Paul's challenging Timothy. But it's deeper than that. He's challenging us. Ride out your storms. We've cast the anchor of faithfulness. We've cast the anchor of cheerfulness. We've cast the anchor of hope. Let's look at our last anchor this morning. I want to call it the anchor of thankfulness. Thankfulness is an area I, I, I need to work on. I need to work on being more thankful and appreciative to everything in life. Everything, everything, everything. This area of thankfulness is so important. Look at Acts chapter 27, verse number 35, when... And when Paul had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all these other men. 
It's the 14th night, they're on a stormy sea, the rain's still falling, the, the thunder's still crashing, the lightning's still striking, the waves are still untimely. They have no control of the boat except they've cast anchors that's pointing in the right direction. And Paul does something here. He says, look guys, we haven't eaten 14 days, we're going to need a little strength in the morning, let's eat. And before he just pigs out with what food they have left on board, he takes one moment and says, thank you God for this food in the presence of them all. Thankfulness is an expression of gratitude, an acknowledgement of a favor. To give thanks, it simply means. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, logically, it doesn't make any sense to be giving thanks right in the middle of a storm. When everything's well in my life, it's so easy for me to say thank you and to be thankful. But when times of adversity come into my life, the situation is stormy all around me. Have you ever been around somebody with a sour attitude about their situation? You might as well go to the refrigerator and open sour milk and smell it to see if it's sour. Let me tell you, if it reads on the thing two weeks out of date, why would you poke your nose in it? You know what you're going to get. There's some Christians around here that's wearing it on the badge of their milk jug. I'm sour. Don't come ask me something. Because no, I don't like it. Are you going to go to that person when you're having a bad time in life and a bad spell? No. No, you know who you're going to find? You're going to find somebody that's thankful during the storms. You're going to find somebody that sailed through adversity and they got a smile on their face and they've weathered a storm and you've watched it from a distance. They didn't even know you were watching. That's who you're going to gravitate to. And that's who 275 men decided to focus on was one who kept an attitude of thank you, God. For years, my wife made Steve Woody at Thanksgiving time a sweet potato souffle. All because he came to a meeting, eating meeting one time, and ate one bite of that sweet potato souffle. And he said, who made it? And when he found out, he went straight to her, and he basically bowed down at her feet and said, that's the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> How did you do that? Until Steve Woody moved off to another state every year, Steve Woody got a sweet potato souffle. Because he had an attitude of thankfulness. When was the last time we went to this church? Somebody in this church and just said, thank you. You are a blessing. Thank you, God, for this man that I met in the parking lot. Thank you, God, for this man that was blind that wrote that song. Thank you, God, for ministering my heart through that song. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One thank you could radically change our ship on this ocean. Storm-tossed. One thank you. Ten men came to Jesus and said, we need healing. Who to heal? All ten of them. How many came back and said, thank you? Come on, show me. One. Now, I'm going to be real bold right here. I believe we'll see one of those ten men in heaven because Jesus took it a little further with that man than he did the other nine. He healed the other nine physically. He healed this man spiritually. God's waiting for one of us to run back and say, God, thank you. For what you're doing in my life. 
even in the middle of my storm. Thank you, God, for being so good. One of the prophecies that we rarely hear about today deals with this attitude of thankfulness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Listen to this terrible, awful world that we're living in in this moment. Turn your TV on this afternoon and you will physically, literally hear and see everything that this says. With our own eyes. Lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. What? What's this next word? When I saw that, it blew me away. God, I'm right there with all the other heathens that are in the world today. Because I don't always carry an attitude, an anchor of thankfulness, regardless of what this storm's trying to do to me. If I'm unthankful, that rock out there is going to do just like it does to the person that is the sour milk. Their group of people get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till they have no one to rely on in the time of their deepest need. Because they've repelled everybody away from them. But if I have gratitude, gratitude is an attitude that attracts people to them. We've all been around a sour person. You ever been around somebody with the attitude I'm talking about this morning of thankfulness? They're like when you're walking down a trail. And all of a sudden, you get the scent or the smell of a honeysuckle vine. What do you do? Keep walking? Not if you're normal. You fasten your eyes on that vine that has those honeysuckles on it. Are you satisfied? No. Not yet, you ain't. Because you're going to walk over that thing and you're going to pop that little flower off there, aren't you? You're going to squeeze it just right and you're going to pop that little flower off there. Some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are they talking about? I don't even know what a honeysuckle is. It's got a little knob on the end of it. And if you grab that knob just right and you hold that stem just right and you pull that little stem out of that flower, it comes through that little bitty hole. And you look at it and there's this little bitty microscopic droplet of water on there. You smell it. It smells so refreshing. And what you going to do next? You're going to put that little bitty thing on your tongue. And you're going to act like you stuck, ate a steak dinner. You're going to wow, that's good. It don't take much of your thankfulness to be good to everybody around us. Sometimes just a microscopic drop of it can radically change a person that's on a trail walking by you. And they need to smell and see and taste that you are good because you have a great attitude about your life and your situation. Charles Swindoll wrote this about attitude some years ago. He said, I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me. And 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you, he said. We are in charge of our attitudes. I want to add a couple of quotes here that have helped me along life's journey. Today stretches ahead of me, waiting to be shaped. And here I am, the sculptor who gets to do the shaping. Today I can cry because roses have thorns. Or I can celebrate that thorns have roses. 
You see, it's an attitude sometimes. It's a deciding factor on whether I'm going to hit that rock or not. If I'm going to be obedient and anchor down and hold on until the sun comes up and change my attitude. Another quote says, you cannot dream yourself into a character. You must hammer and forge yourself into one. I hate it when Satan fools us into having an unthankful attitude. Because when I have a bad attitude, I give off a stench that's repulsive. And I'm the only one that can't smell it in the room. Somebody's going to follow my lead and somebody's going to follow your lead. I brought a, enough gum one Wednesday night to give every one of the kids in Awana a piece of gum. Had the bag, popped it open. Before I gave it to them, here's what I told them. I complained about how bad it was first. Here's exactly what I told them. I said, this gum is cheap. I didn't pay hardly anything for it. The flavor of this gum does not last. When you put it in your mouth, it's hard. You're not going to like it. And I said a lot of things like that. And then I gave everybody the gum and sat down and waited. Sure enough, guess what happened? I bet you can't guess what happened. You have no idea what happened, do you? Yeah, you do. Mr. Paul, this gum's terrible. <laughs> All over the room. You're right. Awful. Didn't have any idea why I was doing what I was doing because I had purchased another whole bag of this gum. And I was waiting on one thing in that room. For one person to be thankful and say something good about that gum. Because there was nothing wrong with the gum. All of a sudden, one of the girls raised her hand with all these complaints going on around her. She said, Mr. Paul, I like this gum. This gum tastes great. And she's like, What's, what are y'all doing with her statement? Oh, I gave her the whole bag of gum. I thought I was going to take it home with me for a minute because nobody was going to be having a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. But she did. And I bet you can't guess what happened next. Mr. Paul, I thought it was good too. Guess what didn't happen next? I had one bag of gum to give away. And one girl got it. What waits us as Christians when we decide to say, thank you, God. When the devil has told us how bad everything around us is. The devil painted a picture before the storm ever got in our life. And in the middle of the storm, he's still painting the same picture. You're going down. And if you don't get on that lifeboat and jump out of this situation, you're going down with this boat. Get out. Get out. Get out. It's terrible. It's awful. It's ugly. No, the storm of life sometimes is beautiful. And the victory on the other side is only something that can be miraculous and the only thing God can give in our lives and not some kind of man-made something that got in a lifeboat and got to some land somewhere and went on with life and left a whole group of people behind. We leave people behind when we don't cast anchors and say, I'm staying with my ship and I'm not getting out of it. The anchor of thankfulness is a hard one to throw in storms of life. But it may very well be the one that turns your night into day. Watch what these 275 men did in verse number 35 and 36 of Acts chapter 27. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when they had broken it, they began to eat. What's it say? Then were they all of good cheer. And they also took some meat. What was Paul doing? Paul gave thanks to God for what he had left rather than to complain about what he had lost. Paul gave thanks to God in the storm, not after the storm had passed. 
Paul gave thanks to God in the darkest night of his life before the sun came up on his situation. Some quotes, again, that I've learned to just love. If you cannot change your fate, change your attitude. Last one, it's always too soon to quit. You remember blessing offer, the one I mentioned a few minutes ago that was born blind in one eye and then lost a sight in the other? I've asked Philip to have a song ready that I want to play in a minute. The song he wrote. And it'll be our altar call this morning when the, when the song plays. The altars are open. But there's a lot of rocks I'm looking at ahead of me and my ship. When I anchor down, and I say, God, I can't go it alone. You said I'm going to make it. I'm going to hold on. And I'm going to wish for the day. I'm going to let the sun come up on my situation. And I'm going to trust you to work out the details. We might as well look just like this this morning. I told you what that rock has for me if I go that way. I told you what that rock has for me if I go that way. We know what these rocks have for us if we get in them. Those anchors will hold and they'll keep us from running onto those rocks. If we'll say, God, with your help, I'm going to anchor down right here, right now. I'm going to trust you to hold me back. And in the meantime, I'm going to work on everything that's inside of me to be better. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want Philip to play this song. And if the Lord has ministered to your heart in some way and you need to come down and say, thank you, God. I hear the rocks, I hear the wind, I feel the rain. But I haven't seen my victory yet. And I want to give you thanks in my storm because I know when my victory comes, it's going to be worth the wait. If you want to come down and grab one of these anchors and say, Lord, I need help in this area of my life. You obey the Lord this morning. Go ahead, Philip. I know there's going to be some.